Hey, everybody. Glad you could join us here on localjobnetwork.com radio for Moving Up the Ladder, a podcast designed to aid in the success of your career, no matter which part of the ladder you're standing on. Today, we examine some perspectives on your career based on the experiences earned in the military, more specifically, the lessons learned in a foxhole. To do that, we've called upon Jake Wood, who served as a sergeant in the United States Marine Corps. He is currently CEO of Team Rubicon, a nationwide nonprofit organization for military veterans looking to continue their service by responding to disasters and crises. And Jake is also now an author, writing his first book titled Take Command, Lessons in Leadership, How to Be a First Responder in Business. Jake, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Well, let's get into the idea right away, um, talking about things you learned in the military, in a foxhole specifically. And the one thing that was right off the top that people mentioned even in the workplace is the idea of controlling the things you can control. Why is that so important? Why is that so valuable when you're talking about either in the military or in the workplace? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's really critical. You know, truthfully, I have to give credit where credit's due and say that, uh, you know, this first got hammered home for me uh, when I was playing college football at Wisconsin. My coach at the time was a guy named Barry Alvarez. He's a Hall of Fame football coach. And mm-hmm. you know, he used to always just scream that during football practice, <laughs> during games, control the controllables. And, and you know, he always used to talk about, you can't control a bad call the ref makes. You can't control the crowd noise. You can't even control what defense the opposing team is going to line up in. The only thing you can control is your own execution, your own attitude. And if you only focus on that, then you know, you're going to have your head in the right spot. You know, of course, that's something that we always bought into when we were playing, but it really, for me, got hammered home in Iraq and Afghanistan. I mean, you're talking about environments and enemies that, that were just so far beyond your control that mm-hmm. the, the absurdity of it at times would almost drive you mad. Particularly, I drew upon this one experience I had in, in a foxhole in Afghanistan. I was on a scout sniper team. We had a mission to go in and dig into a hide site and observe a, what was called a tier one IED site for about 72 hours and hopefully have the opportunity to take down the top insurgent IED maker in the area. And it was about 120 degrees out in the middle of June in, in Afghanistan. And, you know, we had little to no shade. Um, we had limited water, limited food, and we were just baking in the sun all day. And if all we had done was focus on the things outside of our control, the sun, the temperature, the fact that this guy never showed up to the, to the site, then, you know, we would have been miserable. We would have perhaps let our guard down. We would have become complacent. We would have uh, perhaps, you know, been at each other's throats. And that, of course, is a, a terrible dynamic to have in a situation like that. But instead, you know, we focused on the things that we could control. We focused on continuously improving, mm-hmm. you know, our hindsight. We focused on making better range cards throughout the day. And it might seem like busy work, but at the end of the day, what we were doing was controlling those portions of the environment that we could, and that had a positive impact on our own morale. You know, and I want to mention, obviously, uh, for many people listening, we're talking about the workplace in a lot of circumstances. So hearing even that brief story that you mentioned there, I hope people can understand that, uh, you know, it's really not as bad as they might think it is at their workplace. And while understanding it's their life to hear some of the things yourself and a lot of your your brothers and sisters, so to speak, have gone through, I think um, hopefully everybody can appreciate that. So I I also enjoy hearing those stories and and appreciate the service that, that you've put in. When we talk about those controllables, or really in a lot of the cases, the uncontrollables, why do you think it's so easy for people to complain and focus on those things? Even, you know, we hear all the time, control what you can control, but what makes it so simple to complain and so difficult to look past those? I think that's a great question. And I think that's really just human nature. I think people, they tend to focus on pain points. Mm. And so, you know, there's a lot of things that can cause you discomfort, whether, you know, in a foxhole in Afghanistan or whether in the workplace. Right. And, And often it, 
it is easier to complain than it is to put effort towards something that you can change. And, you know, whether that's a, the fact that you're working in a dingy basement with no windows, whatever it is that's, that's outside of your control, so often it's, it's easy to get caught into that downward spiral of complaining about it rather than having an impact on the things that you can positively impact. Sure. And, you know, I just, I think it takes discipline and it also takes a certain new and fresh perspective to, to focus on the things that you can have an impact on. Hmm. Well, hopefully, like I said, you're bringing a different perspective here for people who think it's so miserable in their workplace and, and some of the ideas that we can offer up here. Another aspect that you had touched on um, in, in something that I had read was the idea of the people you're working with and the importance of you know, who they are, what they value, maybe their personality traits. Talk a little bit about that and how um, your team, no matter where that is, whether it's football, the military, or in the workplace, how much that matters when you're talking about um, lessons that you need to learn. Yeah, you know, the team is everything. You know, in the in the article that I wrote that you're referencing, I, I titled it Misery Loves Company. You know, we were stuck in this hole with four guys on this mission for three days and we were all miserable. But we had each other and that really helped us get through on the other end. Mm-hmm. And as I've worked, you know, at Team Rubicon and as we've built this organization over the last five years, building that team is something that we have never compromised on. We put so much emphasis on building the right team with the right people under the right culture and with the right expectations, because we, we know that when everything is on the line, those are the people you have to count on. Right. And the team is something you can control, right? You know, when you talk right. about the things you can and the things you can't, the people that you work with is something that you can control, whether you're the boss or whether you're the person interviewing for a job and electing to go and work for a certain company. You know, you need to choose to put yourself in an environment alongside people that, as I said, you know, you want to share a foxhole with. So when you're looking at that, do you view personality traits as being more important, more valuable than skills necessarily? And if so, what traits are you looking for? You know, we always talk here, we have a saying when we're hiring people that passion trumps talent, but Mm -hmm. culture is king. Hmm. And we are at a point right now as an organization that when we post a job, we're getting people that are immensely talented applying for people that are overqualified for the job. But none of that matters to us. We need, to, we need to see that people demonstrate that passion. And, you know, that can come through in a cover letter. It could come through through a reference. It could come through through job history. But we have to see that passion. We also understand that, that passion and talent aren't mutually exclusive. You know, to have a passionate and talented person is, you know, those are the world changers, right? But assuming you find that person, if they aren't a cultural fit, then they can be a cancer to your team. And you could have the most passionate, high output, high energy, talented person in the world. But if they are, are counterculture to your organization, then you just, you cannot give in to the temptation of bringing them on board. Mm-hmm. Another uh, area of this that you had talked about was a, a phrase in the military that says two is one, one is none. What does that mean exactly? And how can people take that into their workplace as well? Yeah, you know, it's, it is a, it's a, it's a very famous saying in the military and it, it goes right alongside, if it can go wrong, it will. <laughs> the example I used is that as we were on this mission, as we inserted to this area, it was a pretty dangerous area. We, we finally got to our hide site and we realized that the encryption on our radios had zeroed out. That may not mean anything to anybody else outside of the military, but if you ever worked with a military radio, you know that that's, that's the death knell for, for a radio. And mm-hmm. Without a radio, you have one of two options. You can scrap the entire mission and go home, or you can assume an enormous amount of risk and stay there without communication. Realistically, that latter option isn't even an option. Right. So what do you have to do? I mean, we, we made sure that we always had backup radios wherever we went. You know, as a result, we were able to continue the mission. What I'm trying to get at is that you, know, you, you have to have contingency plans for everything that you're doing. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you need you know, two laptops uh, in case one goes down. It sure. means that you need to have a plan for when something goes wrong in your business. 
And that's really what we're trying to get at is that never take anything for granted because if it can go wrong, it will. So what's your backup plan? Right. How do you make sure that you have continuity of your operation when that thing does go wrong? Because eventually it will. You know, I find that interesting because I think I, I think to most people that makes perfect sense. Uh, but you hear so many times of, of something going wrong and, and they're, it's more reactive than proactive in a lot of those cases. Is that a challenge for a lot of, say, entrepreneurs or, or business owners or, or a mistake that they do make and thinking, well, this has always worked. It's going to work. We're fine. Uh, and what has been your experience from what you've seen and, and people you've talked with? I think it is the case. I think uh, many young entrepreneurs, they set out and they, they write their business plan and they assume that it's going to go according to plan. They assume that the market they're going after does in fact want their product, that it is in fact this large, that cost of customer acquisition will in fact be X. And when none of those things come through, when production delays happen and your supply chain is severed and your business partner embezzles you know, $30,000 and disappears over a weekend, <laughs> hopefully none of those things happen to you all at the same time. But if any single one of them does, what's your backup plan? What happens if the market does fail to materialize? What if you are trying to push a product into a, a market segment that doesn't necessarily want it? What are you going to do? Like, what's your pivot plan? And if you haven't given any thought to that, then you're going to be dead in the water. And mm. you know, market forces are going to eat you up before you have the opportunity to develop one on the fly. Another uh, aspect that you mentioned earlier, um, early on in our interview here, was the idea that you guys kept trying to improve continuous improvement in a lot of cases. And part of that was about controlling the controllables and being able to, uh, you know, again, improve your situation. Can that get to a point ever of, of being um, maybe not enjoying where you're at or trying to do too much and, and spreading yourself too thin? Or is that just sort of a negative way of looking at it? Well, I, I think that, you know, that can always happen, right? I, I think what I'm trying to convey in, in this bullet point here, this continuous improvement, is that one, complacency will kill you. Sure. It'll kill you as a Marine. It'll kill you as an entrepreneur. And two, you know, it's very tempting in business to succumb to mission creep, to start, you know, to lose that narrow focus that you hopefully set out with and, and begin kind of chasing these bright, shiny objects on the periphery of your mission. What it requires of you is to have the discipline to continuously improve what your core competency is. You know, we recently, recently ran into this here internally where one of our departments was asking about potentially pursuing a couple of different programs that they thought would add value. And I said, listen, we're not doing the things we're already doing well enough yet. Hmm. And he said, well, what do you mean? Do you think that they're failing? I said, no, they're obviously not failing, but they're not optimized. Right. How do we optimize what we're currently doing so that pursuing these other things is value add instead of a distraction? And really, that's for me what continuous improvement is about. It's having the discipline to look internally avoid complacency and get better at what you're supposed to be doing. Oh, I think that's a great example. Uh, just be able to break it down like that and um, sort of that difference, as you talked about, being able to uh, improve and not be complacent, but not necessarily get to a point where uh, you're spread too thin. You know, you've mentioned a few times, obviously, the organization that, that you're uh, heading up, Team Rubicon. Tell the listeners a little bit about what that is all about. Obviously, I touched on it briefly, but uh, maybe a couple details of, of what you guys do over there and, and the importance of it. Sure. So Team Rubicon is a non-for-profit organization that I co-founded about five years ago and, and uh, serve as the CEO for. And what we do is we take, uh, we, we recruit, organize, train, and deploy military veterans for disaster response. So we've got a network of about 20,000 uh, members across the country. And, and when bad things happen, whether here in the United States or around the globe, we'll organize teams of, of military veterans and, and civilian first responders to rapidly deploy into those situations and, and create order out of chaos and, and help those, those communities recover and get back on their feet through a wide range of functions from 
command and control to you know search and rescue, debris management, whatever it might be. The dual mission of this is that by providing these military veterans with that opportunity, we're able to give them that new mission that so many of them are looking for when they, when they do get out of the military. Sure. Um, they're looking for that sense of purpose and that sense of community, and we're able to provide that for them through this. So it's really, we see it as killing two birds with one stone. No, I, I think that's terrific. Um, you know, we've had conversations here on our shows with veterans, and we work with uh, some organizations as well. And um, as you said, that's, that's definitely an area where um, we hope to continue helping. And it sounds like your organization does a great job with that. Jake, we're getting a little low on time here, but I wanted to give you the floor at the end to give our listeners a, a nice takeaway from this conversation. Again, we've been talking about uh, lessons learned in the foxhole. Anything you want to point out that we haven't touched on, something you want to emphasize regarding any of the points we've talked about? that you want to leave the listeners with that you think would be a nice wrap up for the conversation? Sure. I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, I, I actually close out the book, take command with uh, a final chapter that's really just about attitude. One of the largest things I took away from the Marine Corps was the sense of, of mission accomplishment above all else. And, you know, the Marine Corps has a, a very simple doctrine for how to counter a close ambush, and it's called violence of action. And I often talk about this when I'm, when I'm you know, speaking to entrepreneurs and at conferences. I talk about violence of action, which, of course, can come off a little bit weird when you're talking to civilians. But essentially, the Marine Corps doctrine is, is stating that, listen, you can overcome any obstacle with just pure violence of your own actions, that tactics at that point don't matter. It's your own attitude to overcome that ambush. So what does this mean for entrepreneurs? Well, I tie it together at the end of the book by saying that really, you know, what it means in the entrepreneurial space is relentless execution. As an entrepreneur, you are going to make plans. Those plans are going to be challenged. You're going to encounter obstacles that you never would have imagined. You're going to be climbing an uphill battle from day one. All along the way, you're going to doubt your ability to persevere. So how do people get from that moment that they incorporate their business to profitability? How do they get to sustainability? Really, at the end of the day, it's relentless execution. It's an attitude that says, I will not fail, I will not falter, I'm going to succeed at all costs. And regardless of what industry you're in, what your plan is, you have a chance, maybe just a chance, but you have a chance at success if you commit yourself to that, that idea, that notion of relentless execution. And I talk about that at the last chapter of the book. Well, with that final message, we will wrap up this episode of Moving Up the Ladder. Again, we've been speaking about, again, those lessons that are learned in the foxhole but can be brought into everyday life, so to speak. And we've been doing that with someone who has a terrific amount of experience. His name, once again, is Jake Wood. He is CEO of Team Rubicon. He also has a book out, his first, called Take Command, Lessons in Leadership, How to Be a First Responder in Business. Jake, thanks again for the time. I uh, appreciated all the information you gave us and uh, the obvious passion you have for this. Thanks again for coming on the show. All right. Thanks a lot. And of course, as always, if you look to get in touch with us, you can send us an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. If you have any comments or suggestions, you can also find us on Twitter at the LJN is where you can join in the conversation there. For everyone here at LJN Radio, wishing you success in all your endeavors. I'm Tim Muma. Take care, everybody. Take care, everybody.